encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we are, um, James and I felt like we needed to spend a little more time in the series that we have been in, uh, Thirsty for Jesus, the Meaning and Mission of Mercy Gate. And so hopefully you have tracked with us and you have in context both this idea of the meaning of Mercy Gate, but also how the meaning informs the mission. Uh, the meaning of Mercy Gate goes back to that Ezekiel 47, where it is the river of God's presence pouring forth from the temple, from the Mercy Gate. Uh, and then Jesus in the New Testament saying, hey, if anyone thirsts, comes to me, for he is the fountainhead. And out of all of those who come to him will flow rivers of living water. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that he has made us his temple, his presence now dwells with us and in us and through us he becomes a refreshing river that wherever the river goes it brings forth life the meaning of mercy gate then keeps in focus the fact that we desperately need something of god's own presence we must not be about our mission we must not be about all the things that god has called us to without first an encounter with god to be people who hunger and thirst after his own presence. And so we want to kind of keep some of that emphasis before us this morning. Uh, and we're going to continue to look at that from Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 18 uh, and following. So I'm going to read the text and then we're going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to pick up a few of the prayer cues um, that we've planned. We're going to be praying specifically for the youth in the neighborhood. Uh, even this past week, we tried to reconnect with some of the kiddos, uh, and it's a tough time to do that, but we're going to press in and see what the Lord has for us. So we're going to keep the youth in prayer. Um, and also then, I'd, I'd like to pray for Alpha Care. This week is a fundraiser, online fundraiser that's going on Thursday from 730 8:30. There's going to be more information uh, on the website as well as on our Facebook page. So if you're interested in participating, in that I encourage you toward that end. Uh, we want to be supporting Alpha Care, uh, especially during this 40 days of prayer. Uh, so we want to keep uh, them in prayer during this this time. So I'm going to read the text. We're going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into it. Uh, Ephesians chapter five, verse. 18. Familiar passage for many of us. It states this, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into the text. God, we are so thankful for the promise that we have of you. God, I pray even right now, uh, the hunger and the thirst is for you right now. The thing that we need as we gather together is something of you right now. And as you have promised, you come and meet with us. 
So God, thank you that in a time of corporate gathering like this, there's, there's a two-way street. We bring worship to you, but we also trust that you will communicate to us through your word. You're going to communicate to us through prophetic word. You're going to communicate to us in revealing your truth upon our hearts. And so we thank you for that. We thank you that you're a present with us to communicate something of yourself to us for our refreshment, but also so that we might be about the work that you've given us to out of making disciples. So uh, God, we honor you. We thank you that in these moments, you promise to bring your presence. You promise to abide with us. So we invite you to that end, Holy Spirit, even right now. Uh, But God, before jumping into the text and hearing from you, we also just want to intercede for the youth in this neighborhood. Uh, God, we pray. We pray for a fresh awakening of heart, that spirit you would work in hearts and lives to see a harvest of souls brought in, that we might even see this next generation do, do big things for you, that we might see something of renewal and restoration take place as you'd get a hold of the youth in their hearts in this, this neighborhood. So Lord, we, we pray then spiritually that you would protect each one. God, you know them by name, you know their circumstances, you know what goes on in the home, you know what goes on outside the home. And God, we pray for your divine intervention that you would protect these children. We pray that you would protect them from all the schemes of the enemy as the enemy would want to twist truth and twist reality into something that it's not, that they would, that they would uh, not receive his lies, but they would know something of your truth and your abiding presence. So God, we, we, we covet their souls uh, for your sake and ask that you would do a mighty work through each one of them. And God, we thank you for a ministry like Alpha Care. We pray Lord, that uh, even this next week with this fundraising uh, uh, effort online, we pray that that would supply, that it would be a unique means through which you supply their needs so that the mission might continue forward, caring for those with unexpected pregnancies, caring for the unborn. Lord, thank you that you are the giver of life and that every life that comes about in the womb is given of you and it is to be stewarded ultimately for you. The enemy is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. So Lord, we confess, we confess that our nation is in need of your refining fire. Our nation is in need of your mercy lest your judgment come upon us. So God, we thank you for these ministries like Alpha Care. We ask that you would give them, yes, provision, but strength and wisdom in knowing how to navigate all the issues of our, of our nation, of our culture, and how they can be a bright light in a dark place for your name's sake. So God, bless them. I, and I, God, I just pray for every single worker and volunteer that's connected with, uh, with Alpha Care. God, bless them. Bless them, give them strength, give them energy for the task, give them wisdom uh, to go about the task that you've given them, and may you be glorified in and through them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In the Christian life, there is a vital connection between worship, what we're doing right here, corporate worship, and the encounter of God. 
There's a vital connection between worship, specifically corporate worship, and an encounter with God, or as Paul would use the words here in Ephesians chapter 5, a filling of the Holy Spirit. There's a vital connection between the two. One of the things growing up that always frustrated me is that you'd read texts like this, be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Or, or you'd hear about, even as Paul has said in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are the temple of the living God. Even as a little child, I just thought, this is so disappointing. Because I don't sense that God is dwelling, if the living God of the universe is dwelling in you, wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you sense it? Wouldn't you hear from him, feel something of him? But growing up, it was always, no, don't, don't bother with the feelings. Don't bother with pursuing an experience of him. Just know that he is in you and just be good with that. That frustrated me because then you get to other texts that would talk about at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. And you'd sit back and say, I, I want that experience, but it was almost like growing up, and I know some of you have experienced the same kind of stuff growing up, that, that was untouchable. Don't pursue that kind of stuff. Emotionalism, experience, that's going off the deep end. You know, or text in the New Testament, like 1 Peter says, it talks about this joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Who doesn't want that, right? But it was almost like hands off, don't pursue that kind of stuff. Don't expect that kind of stuff. Don't seek that kind of conscious experience. And then, for many of us, we know that the, the journey. John Piper shows up on the scene, right? And John Piper begins to teach us that God is most glorified in us when we are most, anybody? Satisfied in him. All right, <laughs> right? That there is actually something right to this pursuit of being satisfied in God's presence. You know, growing up, it was always, no, just deny yourself, deny yourself. Don't get into that, all, all that emotionalism. And, and John Piper's coming and saying, no, the point of denying yourself is so that you can find the greater gladness and joy in God. Make the denial of self part of the pursuit of his presence. And so we began to learn, oh, yes, it is, it is man's chief end in life to image God, to glorify God, and to enjoy him forever. And John Piper would say, it's by enjoying him forever. He's most glorified in you when you're most satisfied in him. And, and that, was, that was refreshment to my soul. So that when it came time for corporate worship, <laughs> there was all of a sudden a kind of new experience. There, there was license and biblical license to say, I want to experience something of the goodness and wonder of God in the corporate gathering of God's people. As we worship, I want to experience, I want to experience gladness and joy in my God. But then when that began to happen, you began to experience something of an emotional, uh, like, excitement in the things of the Lord. That began to be a little scary. Because as Sor uh, Sam Storm says, he says, it, it's one thing, he explains his own story very simply, it's one thing to worship God with your mind. It's another thing to worship him with your affections. 
to worship God with our affections puts us in kind of an unsafe territory. A guy named Jack Hayford would explain, pastor, author, would explain it very similar in his experience. He, he said, It began to dawn on me that given an environment where the Word of God was foundational and the person of Christ the focus, the Holy Spirit could be trusted to do both enlighten the intelligence and ignite the emotions. I soon discovered that to allow him that much space necessitates more a surrender of my senseless fears than a surrender of sensible control. God is not asking any of us to abandon reason or succumb to some euphoric feeling. He is, however, calling us to trust him enough to give him control. Is that not what worship is all about? The very word worship in the Bible is to bow to prostrate yourself before, before the Lord. That's worship, not just with the mind, but with all that I am, bringing myself as a living sacrifice before God in the vulnerability of my soul and throwing, casting myself upon his altar and saying, God, here I am, your living sacrifice. Bring your presence now. Consume me. Burn me with your glory. That's what worship is. It is a hunger, a desperate hunger to encounter the Lord in all that we are, body, soul, mind, spirit, all that we are being cast upon his altar and saying, I am a living sacrifice for you. Come now, ignite my intelligence, yes, but ignite my passion for you. My affections are for you, which means this. Even as we've gathered in a worship context like this, I hope you've felt something of the struggle. Worship is not just going through the motions. We're not just here to do church. I don't want to do church. Like, there's plenty of those kind of churches to just do church. When we gather together in the corporate uh, setting, it is all about surrender. It's all about saying, God, I want to give you all that I am. And so worship becomes a struggle. I'm struggling with myself during worship. Do you not feel that? Like, God, I want to give you my mind, so I want to be speaking truth into my mind, but I want to still my soul because my soul is chaotic. So we have that moment of silence at the very beginning saying, God, I just, I want your peace to rule my heart right now. I don't want to be distracted with all the other things, right? And bodily, I want to position myself before you. The word worship means to bow. It has in view even the physicality that when we come to worship God, we're, we're saying we're wrestling with ourselves in all that we are to say, God, here I am, naked in soul, with all my vulnerabilities, with all my, my failings, with all my weakness, with all my sin, with, with, with all the wounds of my heart, I'm saying, here I am, God, in all my trials, in all my difficulty, in all my pain, in all my brokenness. I am yours, a living sacrifice. Now come. Come with the fire of your presence and consume me. May I be something of a living sacrifice to you. That's what the corporate gathering is all about. 
It's getting ourselves realigned and availing ourselves for his presence. So, there's a vital connection between worship, the corporate gathering, and this encounter with God, or as Paul says in this text, a filling of his spirit. I believe that's the argument that Paul's making here in these verses. So let's just follow his argument. First, we're going to see the command and contrast of the encounter. Paul commands an encounter with God, and he uses a unique contrast to explain this encounter. So Paul first states in verse 18, it's, it's astonishing. If you were to hear this phrase, you can't just pass by it and just say, oh yeah, I know that. I, uh, I memorized that verse years ago. This is one of those statements that has to stop you in your tracks. It says, be, command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And according to the Greek, we could render it this way. Be being filled. Constantly, progressively, ongoingly, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul is saying, just don't change the subject. There's always this work to be done of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not something that is just up to God. It is something that Paul is commanding us to do, to be filled, to have this encounter of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He commands this encounter. Now, the command then, and the contrast, as, he, as we'll see, is all about a conscious experience with the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes we think, oh, be filled with the Holy Spirit is just this unconscious experience. But like we talked about a few weeks ago, no, the very word to fill has the idea of not just being one who can describe the label on the honey jar, but one who has actually opened the honey jar and knows that it's honey because you've tasted and seen. Paul's literally commanding you, open the jar, taste and see, be consciously filled with the Holy Spirit, encounter your God. He's commanding you to encounter your God. Like we saw a few weeks ago, the word fill comes from the Old Testament, comes from all the different moments in which God manifested his glory in filling the temple, right? Again and again, whether it was the tabernacle with Moses, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. There was a conscious awareness, God's here, he's just filled this space. When it comes to Solomon, he's built the temple. And what does the presence of God do? It comes and fills. It's a conscious awareness of God's presence such that even the priests could not stand under the presence, under the glory. Glory in the Old Testament refers to kabod or weight. You should think of, of, of scales, that it's weightiness, because what is weighty has worth to it. And it's the glory of God, this ultimate weight, this kabod, that fills the temple, and the priests can't stand up under the glory of God to do their priestly duties. They can't even stand up in the presence of God. It is a conscious encounter with the living God. Paul's using 
that same word to fill the temple to say, church, be filled, be consciously filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul has prayed this for the church in Ephesus. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 1. He prays it again in Ephesians chapter 3. He's praying for a conscious and experiential encounter with God for the people in Ephesus. And and, and while in each of these cases he's praying for a conscious encounter with the living God, he now, chapter 5, verse 18, commands it. Right? Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't change the subject. Get after your God, make it your ongoing pursuit to be consciously filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, interestingly enough, this command is also attended with a contrast. Right? So he contrasts this command of encounter, and he contrasts the positive command to be being filled with the Spirit with a negative command to not be drunk with wine. And while we should take that negative command with all its kind of due weight in and of itself, don't get drunk, right? There's more to be emphasized here. There's more that Paul is doing in putting this negative command right next to this positive command. What Paul is doing, he's making a connection between the conscious influence of wine upon our bodies and the conscious filling or influence of the Holy Spirit upon us. He's showing something of similarity and difference. So the emphasis is not that being filled with the Holy Spirit leads you to this uncontrolled state. He's actually saying, rather, it's the other way around, that being filled will lead you to a controlled state, and a controlled state that's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We know this from other texts, that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control, We know that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Paul is not stating that just as you get drunk with wine and you're uncontrolled, so you're filled with the Spirit and become uncontrolled. No, it's the reverse. It's a contrast. He's saying you will be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And of course, the point is not uh, to say that you know, there's this uncontrollable experience that comes from the Holy Spirit, and yet... He is saying that there is a conscious experience and therefore it may have heightened moments of emotionalism and there might be moments of ecstasy in God's presence. So he's not minimizing the experience either. But he is saying very clearly, this is an experience, a conscious experience to pursue. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Another observation of the text is this. Also notice that this command and contrast is corporate. He's not speaking to just individual. He's speaking specifically to this kind of moment where God's people have gathered together. And what do we do when we gather together? We worship God. We worship God. We throw ourselves upon His altar and say, Come now, Holy Spirit, Fill us. And here we have an emphasis on the fact that in view is 
what is the corporate church. It is the gathering of God's people. It is therefore a communal command. We all together are supposed to pursue the presence of God. We all together are supposed to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he he talks about this idea of drunkenness, and he says, just like you would go into a bar scene, and everyone's been influenced by the drink, he refers to the fact that it, it establishes an atmosphere that is convivial. Convivial means extra friendly, right? It's extra friendly, people are happy, they're under the influence, and it is something of a time together, right? There's there's not much arguing until you've had too much, right? The idea is, man, there's something of joy that is experienced in this corporate act of taking in alcohol to influence the senses. It's convivial. It's life-giving together. What Paul is saying in a very similar way. Oh, when the church gathers together. He said, "It it should be similar but totally different that the Holy Spirit would come and be this experience among us that would create an atmosphere that is convivial, that is so friendly, joy overflowing, that there's something that the watching world would say, man, I want in on that. I'd like to walk into that bar scene. What's influencing you? I want what's influencing you. Can I have that? There's joy. There's inexpressible joy filled with glory. That the, com- the community, the church, is filled and overflowing with the presence of God. This is what Paul is commanding. It's a communal command saying, get filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Pursue the Holy Spirit. Now, in context, I want you to keep everything in context. It's not just that Paul is saying, hey, have this experience. He's just talked about how we are to pursue holiness. So holiness is a part of being filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to go on to talk about relationships, how we're to submit to one another in different ways. And even that then plays into a pursuit of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless, what Paul is saying is that it will be an experience. It will be a conscious experience to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he commands us to go after it. As you gather together, seek after the Spirit. Now, the question still stands. Remember, I began saying there is a vital connection between worship and this encounter, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So what we find in verses 19 through 21 really is a description of beginning to explain this vital connection. Paul, like how, like how are we filled with the Holy Spirit and what does the experience look like? Paul, show us, verses 19 through 21, Paul begins to say that we are to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that we are to sing, we are to make melody in our hearts to the Lord, we are to give thanks for everything in all circumstances to God the Father, and we are to submit to one another. What Paul is saying, he's giving us something of the cross-section between what worship can accomplish and what is then evidenced as the filling of the Spirit comes, which is worship. Worship then is that which leads us into God's presence, 
Worship is that which flows from an experience of God's presence. That's what Paul is stating here. What he, he's showing us, if you want to say, the path and the proof of having experienced something of God's presence. It's not just one or the other. It's something of both. We know that God loves the gathering of his people. You remember Psalm 22, verse 3, that God enthrones himself on the praises of his people. He's attracted to his people in some sense. When his people worship, it's as if God's presence comes. He leans into us in some sense. But we also know from the New Testament, the book of Acts, again and again, as God's people worship, God manifests himself in uh, in in the places where they've gathered. So Acts chapter 4, they gather and they pray and God comes with mighty power. In Acts chapter 13, they're praying and what does the Holy Spirit grant them but direction and guidance? What happens in Acts chapter 16? But after worship takes place, it's like God comes and performs a miracle of deliverance. God loves when His people worship. God loves when his people gather to worship. It's one of the important things about what we do on a Sunday. It's not just to go through motions. It's not just so that you feel guilty when you don't show up or something like that, or you don't tune in on on live stream. It's to say, God likes it. He wants us to gather. He wants us to bring him worship because he loves that when we surrender, it provides him a place for his presence to be encountered and to be stewarded. So we come to find in this text that, yes, there is a vital connection between worship and the encounter. Worship leads to the encounter, and worship is the evidence of the encounter of God's presence. God loves when his people gather to worship. Now, let's go a little deeper. What is it about worship that makes it so vital for this encounter? What is it about worship that makes it so vital for this encounter? Just two final observations and we'll wrap it up. The first observation is this, that the act of worship is surrender. The act of worship is surrender. So when Paul is speaking of addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, when he talks about singing and making melody, when he's speaking of worship, he is speaking of surrender. Surrender is to be happening in all of these different ways. And of course, it's inferred from the text. So what we see is that Paul first says, hey, you need to be addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What are the psalms intended for? Why do we have the psalms? Particularly, and maybe I'm narrowing things a little bit, but particularly when it comes to the psalms, the psalms teach us through song how to deal with the ups and downs of life. Right? When things are really bad, God, give me some words to sing to you. When things are good, Oh, God, give me some things. In other words, really what the Psalms do is give us a way for, and I'm going to use this this word because it's the biblical word, for our psyche 
to respond in worship to God. The term psyche is the term soul in the, in the Bible. It's really the intersection of our mental and emotional well-being. So when our uh, mental and emotional well-being is off, <laughs> we have psalms to go to. Psalms become the pathway, becomes the path of worship for me to surrender myself to God. Right? It's where I can say, oh God, my, my emotions are way out of whack. And, and you'll find the psalmist being, God, my emotions are way out of whack. Right? And we begin to have words that we can surrender to the Lord in worship with that might tend to something of our mental and emotional well-being. Okay, so that's the Psalms. What about hymns? Well, they're the traditional theological kind of foundation groundwork for the Christian faith. When we're talking about hymns, we're talking about those rich theological songs that give us something of foundation. So when my mind is not dwelling on truth, I want my mind to be anchored in truth. So where do we go? We go to the hymns. The hymns, as, as Warren Wearsby says, he says, more theology is taught through our songs than usually through the sermons. Right? And that's the case. Because when our minds, especially in a context, in a world that we're living in, we need truth. We need truth to anchor ourselves. And song, hymns become that which captivates. It brings thoughts captive to Christ. It sets our thoughts upon what is true. But then you have spiritual songs. What is spiritual songs? Well, Jesus, John 4, says... To the woman at the well, he says, we are to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You need to be singing the right things. You need to be worshiping according to truth. But when he says we worship in spirit, it's to say that part of the engagement, part of the surrender is a surrender not just of the mind, not just of the psyche, but of the spirit itself. You know that when you worship, it is to be a spirit-to-spirit engagement with God. Like we would say, I had a face-to-face encounter. Right? You're saying, I personally encountered someone face-to-face. The idea of worshiping in spirit and in truth is to say that we are spirit-to-spirit as we worship God. We're coming to Him saying, I'm surrendering all that I am to you and when it comes then to this spirit to spirit encounter there's oftentimes an overflow of that encounter which then is spiritual songs it's in the moment kind of spontaneous where we've encountered god god begins to reveal himself in a particular way and it begins to be sung that's sometimes where in a worship context like this we may take a particular phrase of a song and you're going to hear it repeated and repeated. And that's not to just say, like the old timers used to say, 7-Eleven song, seven words, 11 times over. You know, you're exhausting us with that kind of stuff. Well, when it comes to spiritual songs, there's a reason for it. Because when we come spirit to spirit with God in worship and God begins revealing things to us, it's oftentimes that he highlights a particular phrase and we need to mull through that a bit. We need to turn it like a diamond. We actually have to engage ourselves in greater ways than what we would have before without having to repeat something. Oftentimes, like hymns, we just rely on the hymns to say everything for us. 
when it comes to spiritual songs, we're saying, Holy Spirit, reveal something to me. Show me what you want to show me about this phrase. As we were singing that particular phrase that he has promised himself to us, shout to the Lord, right? Man, that thing just starts, that's highlighted in my spirit, right? It's highlighted in my spirit. Okay, God, what are you, what do you want to show me with that? And I have to take that phrase and think about it and mull over it, right? And what God begins to do is he begins to reveal certain things. And at times in the corporate gathering, it's that revelation that becomes a ministry point for the rest of the congregation. But we have to be engaged. We're not just here to let hymns kind of lead the way of our worship. There's more of a surrender to take place than just going through and rehearsing something of theology, as important as that is. You're not just mind. You're not just a catalog of theological truth. You are spirit, and you are commanded to worship God in spirit and in truth. You see? So what Paul is saying, he's saying there needs to be a full surrender. When we gather in worship, I, I hope you feel the struggle mentally. I hope you feel the struggle in your mental and emotional being, your psyche. I hope you feel the struggle when it comes to saying, God, I want to I encounter you spirit to spirit. I want to know what you're revealing to me. And I want to slow down enough to actually capture that so that if there is something to be granted to the congregation as a whole, then, then we're giving you sway. We're giving you leadership of our gathering. We're actually saying, Holy Spirit, have your sway upon us as we gather. So worship is an act of surrender. All we are, and if you don't catch it as it's inferred from psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, Paul's going to say, like, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That, we can just rush through that. The idea of making melody in your heart <laughs> is not just to be sentimental, you know, oh, be heartfelt. No, <laughs> you're missing the point. What Paul is saying, from the deepest places of your being to the most foremost places of your being, make melody to the Lord. Right? And he's using Lord intentionally. Who is Jesus? He is your Lord. You don't take that just sentimentally. He's the one who bears the, the scars upon his hands in his body. He is the exalted one. We don't sit by kind of easy and just say, oh yeah, we just want to sentimentally make melody to the Lord. Oh, how can we? How can we? Isaiah 6 must just be, a, you know, a pipe dream then. It just must be something disconnected from our existence where he would say, woe is me, for I am undone. That's not sentimental. That's seeing God ruling and reigning in his exalted glory. It is to bow the knee, say, God, I surrender everything from the innermost parts of my being, from the depths of my heart to the foremost parts of my being. I surrender to you. You are Lord, so let me make melody. That's the idea that Paul is putting before us. The act of worship is an act of surrender. The second observation is this, that the goal of worship, the goal of worship is intimacy. The goal of worship 
is intimacy. Paul has commanded us to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And and we know this from other texts and other biblical study that what God commands, God, you know it, supplies. It is the imperative, the command, and the indicative interplay. What God commands of us, he has grace to supply. In other words, what Paul is saying, be being filled. Why? Because God really wants to encounter you. God wants to encounter you. He wants, he wants, he wants to encounter you. Is that not undoing in itself? When you read through some of the heroes of the faith, I love Corey Ten Boom. I just, I, I, I dig like her story and all that she writes. But she explains later in life how she encountered the Lord in a fresh, new way. She had actually, she was doing ministry after imprisonment, you know, and there was this mistake, and she gets released, and it's, it's this amazing miracle that takes place. She's released, and what does she do? After all the pain and agony and suffering that she's gone through, she jumps into ministry and says, no, i got to go make Jesus known to all the traumatized, who, who have been traumatized by the war. And so as she's doing this particular ministry, she's always being spirit-led, so she doesn't do anything. She's not going certain places without actually knowing, oh yeah, God's leading me there. She doesn't live without just steps of faith. And in one particular situation, she believed that the Lord was sending her to a particular place, so she went without any connections on the other end of that travel. And she arrives, and what she ends up doing is like falling and hurting her hip. She couldn't walk, and so she's hospitalized and even in her hospitalization it's like the she's snapping at the nurses and you know she talks about how self-pity was was kind of her number one enemy and so she's battling with self-pity in these moments that she came to do this ministry and 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 now she's just laid up and so in her frustrations she rattles at one of her assistants she's she says is there not anyone in this whole place that can come and pray for me to be healed you know And so the assistant said, well, I'll look around, you know. So this guy shows up, and and, and so he begins to pray for her, and he stops and then says, do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? And Corey said, immediately I felt the, the Holy Spirit come upon me and bring conviction to my heart that I had been snapping at all these people and that I had been just dwelling in this self-pity. So she brings in the nurses and whatnot and she's confessing to them and all this kind of stuff and things. And, and, and then the guy continues to pray for her and she then begins to talk about how she began to have an encounter with the Lord that was like none other. She would refer to that experience as a baptism in the Holy Spirit where she says, something of the Lord's glory filled my innermost being to the point where I had to stay, Lord, stop. She says, my heart would burst, my inside would burst because of the glory of his presence within. God wants, he wants to encounter us. He wants to meet us spirit to spirit. 
He wants to pour out his glory. And while that particular situation with Corey ten Boom may have been unique in some way, it changed her forever. The assistants wrote, from this point on, Corey was joyful like she had never been joyful in ministry. And the next season of ministry actually pressed into a deliverance ministry where she was she was encountering darkness. She was encountering the enemy like no, never before. And she needed that experience. She needed that empowerment to be about the mission that God had called her to. All to simply say, God wants to encounter us. And it's amazing that a God of such glory would, would have in view us and say, I want to engage with you. This is not just to be routine. This is to be a conscious filling of the Spirit. There's more of God to be expected than what we give Him credit for. And particularly, as Paul is saying, it's this setting that God loves to use to show up in power as God's people worship Him. So my question, just kind of in closing, is this. Are you really surrendered to him? Just as I began, worship is about bowing down. As one author said, it's like a dog who fawns before its master. It's the idea of turning over, saying, God, you got me. Master, (laughs) you have me. That's the idea of worship. It's bowing down before the Lord saying, God, you are my master. Have your way with me with all. It's important that we go here with all the different broken pieces of our lives. From the deepest part of who we are to the most foremost part of who we are. Our brokenness, the things that we are most reserved about, hold most closely to the chest. It's one thing to hold those things close to the chest with others. It's another thing to hold them close to the chest with your God because he wants to encounter you. He wants in on the deepest places of our hearts. He wants in on the things that are most vulnerable to us. That's why he says, hey, if you're going to step into my kingdom, if you're going to follow after me, become childlike. Not where you kind of become the one who determines what is God's and what is yours to hold close to the chest. No, he says, I want all of it. I want you to be a living sacrifice, surrendered in all that I've created to you to be, in all the circumstances that you find yourself, the ups and downs of life. Bring it all to me as a living sacrifice, and I will bring the fire of my presence. I will make you into a sweet aroma. I will make you into the living sacrifice that he's intended to make you into. He is a God who wants to encounter you. Therefore, he commands it. The question that stands, are we a living sacrifice before him? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and thank you that although you are holy, you are 
perfect in radiance. Thank you that although you are transcendent and exalted, although you are over all things, thank you that you want to encounter us, that you have us in view, that your heart is postured to meet with us, that you would desire us. But Holy Spirit, even right now, we pray that you would come and, 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 and shake up the things that we hold so tightly. Where we are not, we are not surrendered, where we are altogether self-preserved in all our tactics and all of our emotional tactics where we can kind of work things so that we don't need you in that space. So God, forgive us. Holy Spirit, come shake that area of us up. May it be that that is given as part of the living sacrifice to you. God, take not only what we perceive as the good things about ourselves, but take all the broken things about ourselves. You are the one who is worthy of that sacrifice. You're worthy of our pain. You're worthy of our brokenness. You're worthy of our loss. You're worthy of all our sins. You're worthy of all our failures. In all that we are, we come to you and throw ourselves before you as a living sacrifice, saying, Lord, you are worthy. Come encounter us. Come refine us. And may we become consumed in your presence, a sweet aroma to you, the one who is worthy. God, I pray against all the apathy. I feel it in my own soul through and through. We, we, we desire things, we want things. But our desires are all too small, all too small at times. When you are the greater worth, you are the greater glory. So Lord, we want to be a living sacrifice, surrendered to you in all that we are. And we invite you now to encounter us in all the deep places of our hearts. We surrender to you as our reasonable act of worship. Just makes sense. Just makes sense to give the Lord of the universe the broken pieces of our life. We lay ourselves before you, Lord. Just ask you in these moments you would just come minister to our hearts show us what is not being surrendered help us to wrestle a bit help us to wrestle because you're worthy you're worthy of it to confront the fears in order that that space of our lives might be offered to you Come Holy Spirit.